Alrighty. Uh, welcome, brothers and sisters. A pleasant day and great day to everyone. Thank you for joining us for our Bible History Project for this evening. Before we proceed, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Everlasting Father, gracious God, Yahuwah. Father, we are so very happy to gather together this day to be able to receive your holy words and commands. Yes. Father, we ask that you please bestow upon us all of your blessings that we need. Yes. Give us understanding by means of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Encourage our hearts and our souls. Yes, we Father. can be brave enough to do your will even during these troubling times. Amen. Lord Yahusha, we worship you as well. Yes, Please Father. increase our faith so that every time we study your holy words and commands, yes. we will become closer to you and to our Father. Amen. We believe, Father, that you have listened to our prayers. Yes. We ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen. All right. Uh, praises be to the Father that we are gathered together once again to study his words. We are going to study Exodus 32. It's about the golden calf. Can you imagine when God sent uh, or appointed Moses to go to the mountain to receive the commandments, while he was there wait, uh, li listening to God, speaking with God, and God giving him the Ten Commandments in tablet form, what happened while the people of Israel were waiting for him to come down from the mountain? Let's begin our studies here. In the book of Exodus uh, chapter 32 and the verses 1, when the people saw that Moses had not come down from the mountain, but was staying there a long time. They gathered around Aaron and said to him, We do not know what has happened to this man Moses, who led us out of Egypt. So make us a God to lead us. And so they were waiting for Moses a long time. How long were they waiting for Moses there in the mountain? Forty days and forty nights, about that length of time, because God said to Moses, you're going to be up here in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. And so while they were waiting, they became impatient. And when you're impatient, sometimes you think of really wild thoughts. What were they thinking about? Perhaps something bad happened to Moses, not coming down. And so what did they demand from Aaron? What did they clamor for? They wanted a God that they can create, a God that will lead them. And so we can see in the book of Exodus chapter 32, the propensity of the people of God towards idolatry. It turns out this is the problem, not just of the people of Israel, but people or human beings as a whole. We have this tendency to turn things into idols and become guilty of idolatry. This was seen quite evidently in this incidence with the golden calf. So they demand, let's make a golden calf and call it our God. And so what did Aaron do? Surprisingly, this is what he did in 2 down to 4. Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. You know, just before this incident, what did Yahuwah, our God, from Mount Sinai declare to Moses and the rest of the people of Israel? God gave them the Ten Commandments. What was commandment number one? You shall have no other gods but 
me. What was commandment number two? You shall not make for yourself a graven image. Shortly after that, despite the fact that the people of Israel pledged their loyalty and made a promise before God in the covenant that God made with them, despite that, what did the people of Israel do? They created a golden calf. And what did they say about this golden calf? This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Can you imagine what they were doing? But it doesn't even end there. What else do they do? Let's read verse 5. Aaron saw how excited the people were. So he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced tomorrow will be a festival to Yahuwah. And so the Bible says the people were excited. You know, when Yahuwah God was speaking from the mountain, giving, him, giving the people the Ten Commandments, were the people excited? They weren't excited. They were afraid, right? Because of all the smoke, the lightning, the dazzling lights, the thunder. They were kind of afraid. But here, they were excited. Why? Because they had a God that they can handle, right? Not an omnipotent, invisible God that they cannot handle. Now, they have a golden calf created out of their own hands and imagination. So Aaron saw the people were excited because the people were excited. What did they do? They built an altar in front of the calf. However, this is what we need to kind of realize. You notice in the last sentence there, it says, uh, Aaron announced that tomorrow will be a festival for Yahuwah. And so it turns out it could be, this may very well be the reason why Aaron created the golden calf. It was not to replace Yahuwah, but it is in honor of Yahuwah. Because it says there tomorrow will be the festival for Yahuwah. That's why they built an altar. And so it was a way to create a visual presence that represents who? Yahuwah, our God. It's the tendency of human beings. They want something they see. Moses was gone for a long time. And for the people of Israel, that visible leader was what they kind of hung on to that represented Yahuwah. Now he's gone, and they think he's probably not going to come back. And so they want something they can see. It is the golden calf. And so they built the golden calf in honor of Yahuwah, or they used the golden calf to worship Yahuwah. Nevertheless, that breaks commandment number Two. And so what does Yahuwah say when they were doing all of this? This, by the way, is probably what it looked like. Don't know how it actually looked like. Could have been like that. But what did Yahuwah say about that? Yahuwah told Moses they were in the mountain, right? Because God knows all things. He knows what's happening there uh, with the people of Israel. And so Yahuwah uh, told Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, how quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made it a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so what did God say concerning the actions of the people of Israel when they created a golden calf and they bowed down and worshipped it? God was, of course, upset. He was angry. He told Moses, this is what the people are doing. They have turned away from me so quickly. Aren't you amazed how the people of Israel can be so stubborn? How the people of Israel can be so rebellious? 
sometimes when we look at our actions, we're kind of the same way, right? Sometimes we're stubborn too, rebellious too. And so God sees that in his people. And because of this, do you know what God actually decreed? Let's read what it says in 9 to 10. And Yahuwah said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. And I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. Remember what Yahuwah said to Abraham long, long time ago. What did he say to Abraham? Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation nation. This is why you got Isaac, Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? This is the 12 tribes of Israel. These are the descendants of Abraham. What did God say to them? They are stubborn and rebellious. And because of the idolatry that they did, because they created a golden calf, what did God decree? He said, I will destroy them all. Well, if, you're, if Yahuwah, our God, is going to destroy them all, what's going to happen to the promise. Well, Yahuwah said, I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. So what was the intent of Yahuwah, our God? To wipe out the people of Israel. Take note, how many millions of people were they? People of Israel. More than two million, right? Probably four million, six million, counting all the children. So there were, that's a lot of people. And God said, I'm going to wipe them all out. And I'm going to begin again with you, Moses. And so when God, when Moses heard this, what did Moses do? Exodus 32, 11, but Moses tried to pacify Yahuwah, his God. Oh, Yahuwah, he said, why are you so angry with your own people whom you brought from the land of Egypt with such great power and such a strong hand? You know, Moses is pretty bold, right? Because God is already upset, angry. Of course, God knows what he's doing. He knows everything. And he's doing something here so that we can realize something about him later on or during, during our time. And so this is really for us to know about Yahuwah, our God. And so here's Moses pleading with Yahuwah. And he says, you know, these are your people. It's a good thing Moses said that. These are the people that belong to God. And after saying that, what did he plead? What did he want Yahuwah to do? What was his prayer? What did he beseech Yahuwah to do? Let's read verse 12. Why, why let the Egyptians say their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth? Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. So Yahuwah declared, I'm going to destroy all of them. Aaron, the other priests, the Levites, all of them. God was going to destroy all of them. But then Moses said, please change your mind about this terrible disaster you have threatened against your people. And after making that request, what did Yahuwah or what did Moses say in addition uh, to Yahuwah? Let's read uh, verse 13. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You bound yourself with an oath to them, saying, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars of heaven. And I will give them all this land that I have promised to your descendants, and they will possess it forever. So what did Moses do? He reminded the father about his promise. What promise was that? Promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and 
Jacob. You know, God knows about his promises. God knows about his covenant with Abraham. And so this really, when Moses was writing this part of the Bible, it is to illustrate to us about God that he can be trusted and relied upon. And because of this, what did Yahuwah our God say? Let's read verse 14. So Yahuwah, what does it say? Changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. And so Yahuwah our God, he can make decisions sometimes and change his mind if so, if he so wants. This is why we go back to that passage in the book of Isaiah where it says, where it says uh, God is telling his people, come now, let us reason together. Remember that passage? Book of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18. Even if your sins are like what? Scarlet, even if it's red. Let's talk about it. Let's reason together. I will make it why it has snow. So God is a compassionate father. He's willing to listen even to us. Can you imagine? Listening to Moses? I mean, God is God. Moses is a man. Man is man. But God, because of his compassion, because of his love, he says to us, let's talk about it. God is a compassionate father. And so he changes his mind about what he was going to do against the people of Israel. However, God did have a message. And God sent Moses down with a message. And when Moses was going down, what did he have with him? Uh, 15 and 16, and Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. And so the two tablets which contain the terms of the covenant was with Moses. And so when he was on his way down, what he had was the terms of the covenant. God's promise that he will be their God if they will follow his commands. But when he went down to the base of the mountain, as he was going down, what did he hear? Let's read the book of uh, uh, Exodus 32, 17, 18. When Joshua heard the boisterous noise. Let's pause for, for a while. These are college level terms, boisterous. I wonder what that means. Maybe we can ask a college-bound student what it means. Boisterous. Any college-bound students here? No? Boisterous? What does that mean? I don't really know what that means. Can someone Google that? Boisterous? Loud? Loud noises, maybe? The sound of merrymaking? Boisterous noise of the people. And so when Moses was go on his way down he was apparently with joshua joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them he exclaimed to moses it sounds like war in the camp but moses replied no it's not a shout of victory nor the wailing of defeat i hear the sound of a celebration he was listening to the sounds of a wild party a boisterous sound it was a wild party going on a pagan party. And so when he went down and he saw what was happening, what did he see? 19 to 20. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, the revelry, the merrymaking, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it. 
Then he ground it into powder. They threw it into the water and forced the people to drink it. That's how upset Moses was. Right? He forced the people to drink the water that contained the grounded golden powder in it in his anger. What did he see? He saw not only the idolatry, he also saw the dancing. In some translations of the Bible, it's very, very detailed in what it means. Revelry, merrymaking, adulterous relationships. Because uh, when you read other translations, it, may, it mentions nakedness. It was like a, a lot of sexual immorality taking place. So it wasn't just idolatry, but also adultery. And so in this incident, you break three commandments from the Ten Commandments. Commandment number one, commandment number two, and commandment number seven, which is thou shalt not commit adultery. And so Mo Moses was really upset. God was really upset. And so he made sure that they understood how angry he was. And so when he saw all of that, he wanted an explanation. Guess, he, guess from whom did he want an explanation from? The one who should have been leading them the right way. Who was that? Yeah, his brother, Aaron. And so he goes to Aaron, 3221. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, what did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? And so he was telling Aaron, you're responsible for these people. What did they do to you so that you made decisions that led them to commit sin which brings upon them the consequences of those sins. I wonder what the excuse of Aaron was. What did he say to Moses? Let's find out. 24, 22 to 24. Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. He's telling uh, Moses, don't be too upset with me. Don't let it burn. You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil. And so he's blaming the people. He's telling Moses, you know how they are. They complain when they had no water. They complain when they have no food. They complained about everything. And so we're, you should not be surprised, Moses, that they did this or prone to evil. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire. And out came this calf. <laughs> That's funny. It's like magic. I didn't really make it. I just put the gold in there. And out came this calf. You know, when you make excuses for yourself and you blame somebody else, you want to say it in such a way that makes you look good. But you don't tell the whole truth, right? I mean, <laughs> how can that be? Put it in a pot, right? And out comes a calf. And so the tendency is... For people to blame others. But the truth of it is, he let the people influence him to go against the will of God. Does this sound familiar? Remember um, the first king of Israel? What's his name? Saul. Saul, right? What did God say to Saul through the prophet Samuel? He said, kill all the Amalekites, including all of their animals. What did Saul do? He, did, he spared the, the best of the animals, right? And he did not kill King Agag. And so when the prophet Samuel confronted him, what did he say? The people made me do it. And so this tells us a lot about the leadership of Aaron. He was influenced more by the people rather than by the laws of God.
They just got the laws of God fresh in their minds. And to etch it deep in their soul, God displayed his power in the mountain, the mountain of Sinai. Nevertheless, they quickly forgot about the people of God and Aaron blamed the people for that. And so when uh, Aaron created the golden calf, what happened after that? 25, Moses saw that Aaron had let the people get completely out of control, much to the amusement of their enemies. In other translations of the Bible, when you look at the Hebrew word, much to the amusement of their enemies, it's translated like this. It's translated where it says that they mocked those who opposed them. And so these people who were in revelry, they were so into their calf worship, anyone who resisted them, they considered them as their enemies. And so the, it, the problem became a big problem. It totally, it, it got totally out of control. And so what did Moses do? He gathered the people and he sent out this message from Yahuwah. What was that? Let's read verse 26. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and he shouted because he had to make sure everyone heard this. Because this is the ultimatum. Yes, God is merciful. God is compassionate. He's not going to punish you anymore. He's not going to, to destroy the people of Israel. But this is, this is the condition. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and shouted, All of you who are on Yahuwah's side, come here and join me. And all the Levites gathered around him. Remember, how many people represented the people of Israel? Millions of people, right? And so when Moses shouted that, giving the opportunity for people to repent and to return to Yahuwah, because that's what Yahuwah wants, who's on this side. And so when Yahuwah, uh, Moses gave the directive, if you are on the side of Yahusha, come here and join me. Now, it says here, the Levites gathered around him, but it doesn't mention the others which is interesting, right? But if you try to visualize the situation, I mean, there's like millions of people. How can you have, how is it possible that you can have a visible demarcation line, right? Well, these are the people on this side, where are the rest gonna be? So it's probably the case that most of the people joined Moses, but there's also a lot of people who did not join Moses. They rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against Yahuwah. They want what they want. And so what did, Yahuwah, what did Moses say to the Levites who were on his side? Let's read 27, 28. Moses told them this is what Yahuwah, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other, because that's a long camp with millions of people. Go from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, friends, and neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command. About, and about 3,000 people died that day. And so what was the command of Yahuwah our God to Moses, which he gave to the Levites? Okay, this is what you're going to do. You're going to kill everyone. Now, when it says everyone, who was the everyone referred to there? Those who rebel against God. Those who do not want to repent. Those who prefer the idolatry, the worship of the calves. Apparently, there were those who stood out. This is what they preferred. And so what did God say? They have to be killed. Take note, there's a difference between murder and killing. 
right? What's the difference between murder and killing? Killing has, is, is used because there's a reason, a good reason, a moral reason to do so. And this is a good reason to do so. Yahuwah himself was the one who gave the command. Because maybe there's someone who's reading this passage and they might say things like, look, they killed their brother, their brothers, their friends, and their neighbors. Wait a minute, there has to be good reason. Number two, it has to come from God. <laughs> right? It was Yahuwah, our God, who made that decision. And we know why that decision was made. 3,000 people, about 3,000 people died that day. Apparently, there were about 3,000 people who refused to repent and to return to God. And so when the Levites did this, what did Moses say to them? 29, and Moses told the Levites, today you have ordained yourselves for the service of Yahuwah. For you obeyed him, even though it meant killing your own sons and brothers. Today you have earned a blessing. And so they received an ordination. This is why the Levites became the assistant priests working together with Aaron and his sons, because Aaron and his sons were given the task of the priesthood. And so the Levites were tasked to be with them, to help them. So they worked together in the tabernacle. And so they were ordained, basically. They were given this blessing from our Almighty God. And so that quelled that. And so after this, what did, Yahuwah, what did Moses say to the people of Israel? 30, the next day, uh, Moses said to the people, you have committed a terrible sin. But I will go back up to Yahuwah on the mountain. Perhaps I will be able to obtain forgiveness for your sin. And so Moses said to the people of Israel, God is really upset, very angry with what you did. I'm going to go up to the mountain and plead on your behalf. He's going to mediate for them. Because Moses represented the mediator of this covenant, the old covenant. Okay, That's how Moses was regarded as, the mediator of the old covenant. And so when Moses went up to the mountain, what did he say to the father? 31, 32, Moses then returned to Yahuwah and said, these people have committed a terrible sin. That's probably an understatement. They have made a god out of gold and worshipped it. Please forgive their sin. But if you won't, then remove my name from the book in which you have written the names of your people. So what was the plea of Moses to Yahuwah? He said, please forgive the people of Israel. Yes, they committed a terrible sin, but please forgive them. If you cannot forgive them, then let me be the one to be punished. How? Remove my name from the book. But what did God say? In 32, 33, Yahuwah answered, it is those who have sinned against me whose names I will remove from my book. And so what can we understand about this statement from the Father? He's the one who has authority over the book of life. Not Moses. Not any human being here on earth. This is why if you really want to remain in the book of life, who should we try to please? The Father. Who else? His Son, Yahushua the Christ. Because there are people who, because they want so much to remain in the book of life or have their names in the book of life, what will they do? They, they think and believe there are human leaders on earth who have an authority. And so they try to please them to the point that whatever they say 
it overturns whatever Yahuwah and Yahushua has already said. That's already in the Bible. We have to understand it's Yahuwah who is able to make that decision, who has the authority. And what did he say? Whoever sins against me, they're the ones whose names I will remove from my book. And so after that, what did God say to Moses? Now go lead the people to the place I told you about. Remember that my angel will guide you. But the time is coming when I will punish these people for their sin. And so what happened? In 35, so Yahuwah sent a disease on the people because they had caused Aaron to make the golden bull calf. So there was a disease that was sent because there were people who were still guilty of sin. And so this is what idolatry does. Have you noticed the people of Israel, how prone they are to idolatry? You would have thought they would learn their lesson here, right? You would have figured, okay, they probably know that we should never ever make a golden calf again. We should never ever commit idolatry again. But human beings have this propensity. They have this drive for some reason to commit idolatry. And so what happened years later? Fast forward a bit. During the time of the kings, here's a famous king appointed by God. Take note, he was handpicked by God, chosen by God, placed by God to lead his people. And this is what happened. First Kings 11, 5 to 8, he worshiped Astarte, goddess number one, the goddess of Sidon, and Molech, number two, discussing God of Amma. He sinned against Yahuwah and was not true to him as his father David had been. On the mountain east of Jerusalem, he built a place to worship Chemosh, the disgusting god of Moab, and place to worship Molech, the disgusting god of Ammon. He also built places of worship where all his foreign wives could burn incense and offer sacrifices to their own gods. Who is this? Solomon. You know who this is? This was Solomon. Was he appointed by God? Yes. Did God appear to him? Yes. Did God speak to him? Yes. But despite the fact God placed him to lead his people, what happened to Solomon? Solomon turned away from Yahuwah our God. You know, there are people who think if one is appointed by God, that they can never make a mistake. Right? Yeah? Are there people who think like that? Yes. I mean, think about it. Okay. For example, the last messenger, Brother Felix Panam, Brother Irani Manala. Can they make mistakes? Do they make mistakes? Yes. Why? They're human beings. They make mistakes just like everyone else. Those appointed by God, just because they were placed by God to lead his people, doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. Solomon, the king, the wisest king, he made mistakes. Can you imagine? He worshipped Astarte, Molech, Chemosh, built altars for the gods of his foreign wives. And so because of this, what did God's Declare, decree against uh, Solomon. First uh, Kings 11, 9 to 11. Yahuwah was very angry. He was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from Yahuwah, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to Yahuwah's command. So now Yahuwah said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. What did Yahuwah declare concerning Solomon? Was he pleased? No. He was very angry. 
In fact, he said, I'm going to tear your kingdom away from you. Not only that, I'm going to give it to your servants. Who was that servant who received that throne? Let's read 1 Kings 11, 37, 38. Jeroboam, I will make you king of Israel, and you will rule over all the authority that you want. If you obey me completely, live by my laws, and win my approval by doing what I command, as my servant David did, I will always be with you. I will make you king of Israel and will make sure that your descendants rule after you just as I have done for David. So God placed David. Did he make mistakes? He did. God placed Solomon. Did he make mistakes? He did. In replacement of Solomon, whom did God choose? Jeroboam. God used the prophet Ahaziah. Speak to him. This is what God the Father wants from you. Obey my commands. You know what Jeroboam did? As soon as he was installed to be king of Israel, you know what he did? What do you think he did? What do you think? You're going to be shocked. Let's read 12, 28, 31. After thinking it over, he made not one, <laughs> but two two bull calves of gold and said to his people, you have been going long enough to Jerusalem to worship people of Israel. Here are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. He placed one of the gold bull calves in Bethel and the other in Dan. And so the people sinned going to worship in Bethel and in Dan. Jeroboam also built places of worship on hilltops and he chose priests from families who were not of the tribe of Levi. Was he appointed by God? Yeah. Because there are those who say, ah, he was placed by God. He is appointed by God. He cannot make any mistakes. Don't believe that. The people of God make mistakes. The kings make mistakes. It's really weird, though. You know, when, for example, we say, you know, sometimes the Sugo makes a mistake. Sometimes Brother Iran Yujimanalo makes a mistake. They have a fit. <laughs> what? That's blasphemy. <laughs> right? That's blasphemy. But then when you say Solomon made a mistake, David made a mistake, they're okay with it. Yeah. <laughs> but if you say the Sugo made a mistake, what? It's like you committed the unforgivable sin. The people of God make mistakes. Right? The, hu the, the people, all of us are prone to commit sin. Especially what? idolatry. I want you to place yourself in God's position. <laughs> you see what's happening to your people? What are you going to say about people? Stubborn and rebellious. That could also apply to us. This is why we have to protect ourselves, brethren. How can we protect ourselves from idolatry? Because we can be guilty of idolatry. There's so much we can learn about in the book of Exodus 32 so that we can protect ourselves from idolatry. What's lesson number one? Do not give the glory that belongs to God to someone else. Did you get that in the book of Exodus 32? For example, I want you to look at this passage. Exodus 32 verse 1. You know how guilty the people of Israel are when it comes to idolatry? Not only do they say make us a God, what also do they say? Do you notice that? What do you notice about this passage? I want you to look at this passage. Not many people notice this, but take a look at it. What, what uh, idolatrous statement did they make? You notice what it says there? What does it say? Who gets the credit? Who gets the glory?
for delivering the people out of Egypt. Who did he give the glory to? Moses. This is why when Moses was gone, they thought, oh, no, we're done. You see how people, they have this tendency to cling to what they can see. Human leaders rather than God who is invisible. And so they give glory to who? Moses. You know what? God is listening to our conversation. When God was listening to the people talking about Moses, you know what God said to Moses while he was in the mountain with them? 32, 7, 8. Look at Yahuwah told Moses, quick, go down to the mountain. Your people. God says, your people whom you brought out from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Yahuwah used their vocabulary and said it and gave it to Moses. As a matter of fact, what Yahuwah wants the people to know and understand is, Exodus 20, God spoke and these were his words. I am Yahuwah, your God, who brought you out of Egypt. They were supposed to give that. That's commandment number one. God was the one who delivered them from Egypt. Not Moses. He was just an instrument. But people have this tendency to make idols out of spiritual leaders, to give the glory that belongs to God to Moses. God is listening, right? And what does God not want us to do? Isaiah 42, 8, I am Yahuwah. That is my name. I will not give my glory to anyone else. In these last days, God is listening. He's listening to what people are saying. Who's really getting the glory? Who is it? Is it a human leader or is it God? This is the question we have to ask ourselves. You belong to an institution, you belong to a church, you belong to an organization. Brethren, who is getting the glory? Because if the one getting the glory is not Yahuwah our God or Yahusha his son, <laughs> if I were you, I would leave that place. That is idolatry according to God's teachings. What else? How else can we protect ourselves from idolatry? Uh, number two, do not turn God's blessings into idols. Take a look at Exodus 32, 2 down to 4. Where did the material to make the calf come from? The gold. You know who gave that gold to the people of Israel? The Egyptians. Do you know why the Egyptians gave it to them? Because God made them do it. Essentially, this is a blessing from God. So the gold, which was a blessing from God that he gave to the people of Israel, what did they do with that gold? They turned it into an image, an idol. We too do that sometimes. God bless you with the job. It's good. Praise be to the Father. What did you do with that job? Did it replace Yahuwah? Is it because of that job you no longer worship Yahuwah? God bless you with education. You turn away from him now because you learn about evolution, which is not even true. You know, sometimes God blesses us, but, but we turn the blessing against him. Right? This is why this is what Yahuwah said in Jeremiah 9. This is what Yahuwah says. Don't let the wise boast of their wisdom. The powerful boast of their power. The rich boast of their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone. That they truly know me and understand that I am Yahuwah who demonstrates unfailing love. God bless you with wisdom. Praises be to the Father. But don't let that wisdom become an idol. God bless you with power and riches. Praises be to the Father. But don't let the power and the riches get into your head to the point that you forget all about him. Because that, when that happens, then the power and the riches that you have, which is a blessing from God, has to become an idol. We have to be careful. Protect ourselves from idolatry. What else? Number three, worship God the right way, not the wrong way. Mo, uh, Aaron thought it was okay to use the calf because it's what they use in Egypt. We're, we're dedicating this to the Father, 
And so what Aaron did is what is called syncretism. What is that? It's when you take two different ideas from two different religions and they combine them. And so he was combining the golden calf with his new religion, worshiping Yahuwah, combined it, right? And so he used the golden calf, an altar for the golden calf, and he kind of, he synthesized these two different forms of worship into one. But God says, no, I will not have that. That's the wrong way to worship. And so what does Yahuwah, what, what does Yahusha HaMashiach tell us about the true worship in John 4, 23, 24? But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so this is what God wants. Not just to worship him, but to worship him according to his way. Right? We have to have the right concept about true Worship. What else? Number four, do not give in to people pressure. Sometimes we do things only because we're pressured into doing that, right? For example, we're praising a human being. Why? Everyone else is doing it. Look at what happened to Aaron. What did he say? You know the people yourself that they are prone to evil for they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. Sometimes when there's pressure, even if you know something is wrong, you still end up doing it, right? This is why we have what is called the herd mentality. You know something is wrong, but you do it because everyone else is doing it. But you know, Yahushua teaches us something about that kind of thinking when you follow the majority. Because sometimes we apply that rule. Whatever the majority is doing, that's what we follow. Small remnant? No, because they're only small. You follow the majority but not the small, right? But this is what Yahushua said in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Everyone's going there. Everyone's praising this man. I am one with this man. Everyone's praising him. And so everyone says, okay, let's do all that. That can be very dangerous, brethren. Very dangerous to follow the majority. Why? Because Yahushua says, wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a small remnant, a, a few find it, right? A few will find it. And so let's not be pressured into doing what is wrong when we know it is wrong. If we know what is right... Let's do what is right, even if the people will go against you. You know who's a, who are good examples of this? Paul and Barnabas. When the crowd saw that Paul, what Paul had done, they shouted in their local dialect, these men are gods in human form. There was a crowd, and they were in a frenzy. And they said to themselves, and they agreed with one another, and they said, Paul is a god in human form. But when Barnabas and Paul heard what was happening, they tore their clothing in dismay and ran out among the people shouting, friends, why are you doing this? We are merely human beings just like you. We have come to bring you the good news that you should turn from the worthless things and turn to the living God who made heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You see Paul and Barnabas? They could have accepted that worship. They could have accepted that idolatry when the people were bowing down to them, 
they would have said, they would have given them their hand, right? Accept, yeah. Because the crowd, they were already into it. They were calling out their names. But what did they do instead? They tore their clothes and they shouted to the people, no, we're human beings like you. And they pointed to who? Yahuwah. He said, go, not us, we're human beings. Worship, give glory to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But sometimes we see so many religious leaders today who take the glory that belongs to God and take it for themselves. We must not be like that. We must not be like that. What else? Number five, remember that idolatry leads to other sins and consequences. You know why? Romans, uh, Exodus 32, 25. Moses saw that Aaron had let the people let let the people get completely out of control. You see, when a person commits the sin of idolatry, they basically reject God. And when you do that, you the tendency is for you to lose control. This is why it started out with making a golden calf, and they ended up worshiping it. And then it led to what? Revelry, right? And then that led to them being destroyed. And so why does that happen? Apostle Paul gives the explanation Romans 1, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, bird, and animals, and reptiles. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Furthermore, since they did not think it is worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what to do what ought not to be done. You see, when a person rejects God in, because of idolatry, they have exchanged the truth for a lie. What does that mean? Instead of worshiping the creator, they worship what is created. It's idolatry. And when you commit the sin of idolatry, God says that's the product of a depraved mind. So God gives them over to their depraved way of thinking. And what is the consequence? What is the result? They have become they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. This is why when you start out with idolatry, when you take the glory that belongs to God, it has a way of escalating. It has a way of leading to other sins. This is why if there's a religious organization that caters to idolatry, that organization is going to spread much kind of wickedness that the Bible Apostle Paul mentions here. And so we know that idolatry leads to other sins and consequences. And number six, the last one, how can we protect ourselves from idolatry? We have to be patient with God. How did this all start in the first place? Because when they were waiting, what did they say? It was a long time. <laughs> what, did, what do you sense from the people here? They were waiting for 40 days. They became impatient. You know, when you become impatient, it's, it leads you to sin because impatience is often the cause of impulsive actions. And impulsive actions are usually sinful actions, right? This is why 
if you are facing something in life and you're praying to the Father and you haven't received the answer, we have to be careful because that makes us vulnerable to committing sin. And so instead of becoming sinful, what should we do if there's something that we are waiting upon God to do for us? Let's read the book of Psalms 27, 14, 11. Wait with hope for the Lord, for Yahuwah. Be strong and let your heart be courageous. Yes, wait with hope for Yahuwah. Teach me your way, O Yahuwah. Lead me on a level path because I have enemies who spy on me. So what do we do? If we are waiting for something and we feel like we're becoming more impatient, we should pray to Yahuwah and wait on him. Do not stop waiting on Yahuwah. However, as we wait for Yahuwah, what should we do? We should learn his ways. That's why it says, teach me your way. What does it mean to know the ways of Yahuwah our God? In Psalms 119, 14 and 16, I delight in following your commands more than in having great wealth. I study your instructions. I examine your teachings. I take pleasure in your laws. Your commands I will not forget. Notice what the Bible is telling us here. The importance of the commands, the instructions, the teachings, the laws. Where can we find the commands, the instructions, the teachings, and the laws? Where can we find them today? The Holy Bible. And so what should we do while we wait for God to act? Perhaps there's something we want God to do for us, to help us. We should study the book. We should learn the commands, the instructions, the teachings, the laws, so that we can learn what God wants us to do while we wait for what God can only do, right? And so what it means when we are waiting for God to do something, let's do what we can according to God's laws. Know what God wants us to do and do it. And let God and wait for God to do what we cannot do on our own. That's what we are doing at the present as we wait for God to take us to the promised land. And during these last days, something that for us to be able to receive the guidance of our God, there's something we need to really look into. What is that? Thessalonians 5 19 and 22. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do you know why we must not stifle the Holy Spirit? Because God has a message for us. God has something to teach us. Do you believe that even today, even if there's no so-called executive minister, God has some, so much to teach us? Do you believe that? How will God teach us that? The Holy Spirit. But how can we receive that teaching? How can we receive that message from God if we will stifle the Holy Spirit? What do you mean stifle the Holy Spirit? When we will say something like this, it was not taught by the Sugo. It was not taught by Brother Rani Manala. And therefore, we cannot accept that. What are we doing? We're stifling the Holy Spirit. Why will we do that? We need to be taught by the Holy Spirit of God. And what does the Holy Spirit of God enable us to do? Bible says in verse 20, do not scoff at prophecies. Prophecies of God. They contain truths that is also applicable for us to this day. This is why we should not limit ourselves. Do not say it was not taught by the Sugot. It was not taught by Brother Iranian Manalo. Praises be to Yahuwah for the teachings taught by the Sugot and Brother Iranian Manalo that is in the Bible. Praises be to Yahuwah because God used them in powerful ways to teach us the truth. However, do not limit God. Let God teach us further through the Holy Spirit. But when we are taught, what should we do? The Bible says, but... 
What does it say? Test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. So this is what we practice today. We want to be taught by God. We want to be taught by Yahusha HaMashiach. How are they going to teach us? The Bible and the Holy Spirit. And so we let them guide us so that we will know what to do while we wait for the second advent of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Okay? All right. Let's go now to our mailbox. Oh, boy. We had uh, a brother, I'm not going to mention his name, but he got the letter, you know, when he got expelled from the synagogue, he got the letter from INC. And he mentioned it. <laughs> he was pretty upset. He's kind of like venting, I guess. And so he, he wrote to me and said, uh, BHP Q&A, this is the first one of his six questions, uh, BHP Q&A, this letter was sent out to us after the INC institution announced in the chapel our expulsion in the synagogue. In the letterhead, the address that they used was Washington, D.C., but the envelope stamp was in North Houston, Texas. There's no name and signature of a district minister or local minister who sent it, and there's no return address. Paragraph one. Uh, following the voice of Yahusha, Yahamashiach, is my faith. Praise be to Yahuwarga. And will not give it to anyone else. That should be our attitude, right? Our faith is in Yahusha, not in some human leader. The only doctrine that I will follow is from him. Yes, only Yahusha can revoke my membership and privileges in his body, the church. Yes, that's what we want you to get, right? Yahusha is the owner of the church. Not anyone, not any of us own the church. It's Yahusha who owns the church. Only Yahusha can revoke, revoke our membership in his body. By following and obeying Abba, Yahuwah, and the Messiah, Yahusha, is not a conduct unbecoming a member of the Iglesia Ni Cristo. Uh, please explain more of what the Bible says about conduct unbecoming. <laughs> so for some reason, this, it, it led to this question, uh, conduct unbecoming. Because apparently he was being expelled for conduct on becoming. How can a so-called executive minister, district minister, non-ministers become conduct on becoming as Christians? So what does it mean to be so that a person merits though the uh, phrase conduct on becoming? If you're a minister, for example, myself, Kajeriel, Kaerning, other ministers, they're preaching the word of God or leading the flock. What does it mean when we behave in a way that is unbecoming of a minister? Well, first of all, you should behave as a regular member, right? Just because one is a minister, it doesn't mean you bypass what God requires all the people of God. This is what it says in Ephesians. But among you, there must not be even a hint, yeah, even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Conduct. Unbecoming. Nor, he adds to that, should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. So the Bible says this is what God expects from his people. There should be no hint of sexual immorality, right? Because if that is the case, then that's conduct unbecoming. Purity, greed, what else? It mentions here foolish talk and coarse joking. This is especially applicable for a minister, all right? Because you're preaching the word of God. 
and you're going to resort to obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking. I mean, if you went to a website that belongs to the government, the government, U.S. government, and you see some silly talk, some foolish talk, obscenity, coarse joking, what would you think about the government? You think this is unprofessional, unethical, right? You're going to say conduct on becoming. Can you, can you imagine the mayor? The mayor doing things that are silly, foolish. What would you think about that mayor? He should not be a mayor. <laughs> well, how much more if you're a minister? When you preach the oracles of God, how much more if you're a minister who preach the word of God? And what they will see is uh, foolish talk and coarse joking. What does that mean? Coarse joking, foolish talk in the Greek. These are the Greek words, and it has the meaning of witticism, buffoonery, and silly talk. So if there's a minister who engages in buffoonery, creating, for example, images and um, videos, mocking certain things, that is unbecoming of a minister, okay? But more so, what is also unbecoming of a minister, 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 to 3, I, who am an elder myself, Apostle Peter is the one speaking. He's an apostle. Take note, he's an apostle, right? And this is what he says. I, who am an elder myself, appeal to the church elders among you. So he considers himself to be a co-shepherd, co-elder with the rest of the elders. I am a witness of Christ's sufferings, and I will share in the glory that will be revealed. I appeal to you to be shepherds of the flock that gave you that God gave you and to take care of it willingly, as God wants you to, not unwillingly. Do your work, not for mere pay, but from a real desire to serve. Do not try to rule over those who have been put in your care, but be examples to the flock. But also is unbecoming of a church leader, a minister, a preacher of the word of God. If they were given a task to take care of the flock, then they should act accordingly. How should they act like? Like Apostle Peter. He's an apostle, yes. But what did he say? He said, be, I appeal to you, be like shepherds, not rulers. You see the difference? There's a big difference between a shepherd and a ruler. Okay? Rulers apply to those in the synagogue system. But in the church system, shepherds. Because the church is likened to a flock. Right? But they, from the Mosaic covenant, the hierarchy is there. And so it's more like ruler. And so Apostle Peter is telling us, no, we can't be rulers anymore. We are, we are shepherds. What's the difference between a ruler and a shepherd? Simply this. The ruler dictates from afar, right? The shepherd, they lead by example within the flock itself. In other words, they are together with the flock. They're not sitting in some high tower or high palace. They are getting dirty with the flock. Why? Because they're leading by example. They don't sit in their comfortable chair with their monitors and tell them, okay, you do this, you do that. That's ruling over them. You're shepherds. Shepherds see what the sheep see. Shepherds hear what the sheep hear. They feel what the sheep feel. Why? Because they're with them. That's what a shepherd is. But a ruler is distant from the flock. They're sitting in a comfortable place, dictating what to do ruling over the flock. That's not what it's supposed to be. That's unbecoming of a minister. Okay? All right, paragraph number two. Is it right for the INC institution to say one is still a member or not? How can I 
be a returnee when I and my family did not leave Yahushua HaMashiach. Good point. Because there are people who say to us, why don't you return? We never, we never left. And how can the person behind the INC institution say that they own the church premises and properties when all of these things came from our monetary offerings? And most of all, everything belongs to him who built and established the church, Yahushua HaMashiach. Well, the, the reason why they can do that is because there's a distinction, uh, brethren, between the INC institution and the church, the body, right? When Yahusha built the church, the, the body itself, well, that was not recognized by the government. It was not registered. But when it's registered, it becomes an institution. So the institution called the Iglesia Ni Cristo is registered. It's a registered entity recognized by the Philippine government. So they have rights. So the property that they have is according to whatever the Philippine government has concerning the property that belongs to INC because it's recognized as an institution in the Philippines. So because it's registered in the Philippine government as a nonprofit religious corporation with executive minister or presiding elder as corporation. So, so the executive minister, what is his function? Well, to administer the property and temporalities of INC and to expel or delist members from the religious corporation according to Article 11 of the INC Articles of Incorporation. So the INC has every right for the executive minister to be the administrator of all the property. And so because we have been expelled from the INC institution, we have no right with their property anymore, even though we gave offering. Okay? And so INC has that right. And so we should not blame INC for telling us we cannot go to their property anymore. They have that right to do that because they're a registered institution. Okay, but take note, the institution that was registered, that's different from the body. What's the proof? If you look at the institution uh, registration, when you look at founder, what does it say? Brother Felix Manalo, right? Not Yahushua HaMashiach. Why? Because this is only for this earth. This is why the institution, the INC, that is not the body of Christ. There's a distinction between the body of Christ and the institution. As Corporation Soul, uh, Brother Eduardo Vimanalo has the absolute power to expel us. He has every right to do that. Okay, but he does not have the power to expel us from the body of Christ. Because he's the Corporation Soul of the INC institution. But who is the Corporation Soul, if you can call it that? of the Iglesia, the Church of Christ or the Body of Christ. Who is it? Yahushua HaMashiach. Why? Because it's His. Matthew 16, 18, I will build my... That's His. It belongs to Yahushua. And so we can be expelled from the INC institution and still be in the body of Christ. Why? Because it belongs to Yahushua. The only time we need to return to the church is when Yahushua tells us, you have been expelled from my body. Right? That's the time you are a returnee. But we are expelled from the institution or from the synagogue, but not from the body or, or the church. Okay. Paragraph three. Uh, how can they call somebody a trespasser when the only intention is to pray, do our duty in worship? They will call the local authorities for someone who wants to worship. This is exactly what the Pharisees and the Romans did when they arrested the Messiah, Yahushua. They put him in prison, made him carry, and crucified him on the cross. You know, like what we said, INC has every right to remove us from their premises according to the law. Okay? However, it doesn't mean we cannot pray anymore because 
we cannot worship anymore because we can worship and we can pray even outside a chapel or a capilla, right? As a matter of fact, Yahusha, where did he pray? Mark 135, very, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Yahusha got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Can we pray anywhere? Yeah. Let's just make sure it's a solitary place so that you're not bothered, so that you can be focused, right? And so we don't have to be in a chapel to conduct worship. Wouldn't have to be in a chapel to be able to uh, pray. Because remember, we, the people, we are the people of God. We are the church, the people, not the building. That's, that's in reference to the institution. Number four, uh, this letter serves as a warning. In Hebrews 10.25, are these, are these going against the teachings of not to forsake our gathering together as some do? So I guess the question is, because they gave them a letter stating you cannot come here for worship, isn't that in violation of Hebrews 10.25? And Hebrews 10.25 says this, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So they believe that because we have been expelled, we no longer have the right to worship God. Isn't that what they're saying? Why are they worshiping? They have no right. Why are they preaching? They have no right. So that's their belief. We respect that belief. Okay? And so if, if that, is their, that is their belief, they have every right to believe that. And they have every reason to keep us away from their premises, including and especially their worship gatherings. However, it doesn't mean we are to stop worship. What is problematic is if there are those who, are, who left the institution and they're still telling you that you are not, you're not supposed to worship. As a matter of fact, we should not be surprised with our present conditions because even during the first century, what happened to the early Christians? Acts 8, 3 to 4, but Saul tried to destroy the church going from house to house. He dragged out the believers, both men and women, and threw them into jail. The believers who were scattered went everywhere preaching the message. Even the early Christians were hounded by the rulers of the synagogue. Right? Who were they? The Jewish authorities because back then they had the power the jewish the uh, the synagogue and those who belonged to the church well they didn't have any power they were constantly being persecuted by the synagogue this is why in in the new testament you can see the symbolism of the true church right and the synagogue this is why the synagogue has symbolized something and we're going to get into that later on okay so the point is although we are not allowed in the synagogue we can still worship and we can still pray. And so we must not forsake that. Paragraph 5, Yahushua HaMashiach has the absolute right authority and observe the doctrine of over his church, the Messiah. It's the one who builds the church and not any men or country. Is this the right verse quote to understand about peace? John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that in me you have peace. In this world you, have, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And so he wants to know about peace. Where can we have peace? And he quoted John 16, 33. He says, I have told you these things. In me, you have peace. Is that true? Yes. What does it mean that in Yahusha we have peace? Ephesians 2, 14 and 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace. How can, what does it mean? That we have peace 
in Yahusha HaMashiach? Well, because the condition of humanity is they are the enemy. There's enmity between human beings and God. What brought about the enmity? The laws of God. Because if there are laws of God, if you violate the laws, what does that mean? You become an enemy. And so there's hostility. There's a wall of separation between human beings who know the law and break the law and God who gave the law, right? And because of that hostility, because of that wall, we are always considered an enemy of the Father. And so how do you reestablish peace when you break that wall? Who did that? Yahusha. This is why he himself is our peace. What does it mean? He created in himself the one new man from the two, thus making peace. What are the two? Body, head. It doesn't say uh, head, institution. No, it's the head and the body of Yahusha. So if we are in the body of Yahusha, we have peace with God. And so that peace is in Yahusha. It's not in the institution. It is in Yahusha HaMashiach, not the synagogue, not the institution. Okay, let's go to paragraph six. I can only attain true clarification in all of these things by reading and understanding what is already written in the Holy Scriptures. Last week's BHP Tabernacle. A blind man. Remember that movie? <laughs> a blind man was cursed by our Messiah, Yahusha. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing you're testing what I'm saying. A blind man was cured by our Messiah, Yahusha, and was expelled by the Pharisees. Is just an example that the INC institution does not have the power to expel anyone who followed the voice of Yahushua Mashiach. Uh, to clarify, they do have the power to expel from the institution, but not from the body of Yahushua. There's a difference, okay? We don't belong to the institution. I do not belong to the Iglesia Nechrisa institution. I don't. I never claim that I am. I am not in the institution. I belong to the body of Christ, the true church of Christ, okay? I belong to the body of Christ. There's a big difference. And so, yeah, this is a great statement. You know, what happened with the blind man who was cured by the Messiah is actually a perfect illustration of what is happening now. What is that? The transition. There was a transition taking place from the synagogue to the church. You notice that? Right? And so what does the synagogue, what does that represent? This is, uh, if you take a look closely at what the synagogue represents, it's the following. Number one, the hierarchy-based leadership with one overall leader, right? This was basically from the covenant of Moses. And so it's the synagogue way. There's a hierarchy. So you have a leadership council. You have one overall leader, the high priest, the king, okay? But during this time, when the blind man was being interrogated, there was no king because they were waiting for their king to come, but they didn't have a high priest. And so the high priest was basically the one overall in charge. He was the overall administrator. And so that was part of the synagogue. What else? The synagogue had power to rule over the people. What's the proof they rule over the people? They could not question. They had no authority to question whatever is said by the synagogue rulers. What else? It is fear-based. It is based on Fear, they make them afraid to cause them to obey, okay? What else? They use expulsion as a way to create fear, and you will see this later on. What else? They have excessive authority. They claim authority that God never meant for them to have, and they use his authority to control their members. What else? They believe in legalism. That's why they came up with so many different rules 
about the command of God. They probably came up with different sets of uh, new rules. And so when you look at the way the synagogue operates, it resembles so many church systems today, isn't it? Right? And so when we see a church system that uses these things, it's uh, like symbolism of synagogue, the synagogue way. It is the synagogue system. And Yahusha came and destroyed that, that synagogue system. He replaced that with a better system, with him being the overall leader. And so when we look at what happened to the blind man in John 9, 22, 23, his parents said, said this because they were afraid of the Jewish authorities who had already agreed that anyone who said he believed that Jesus, Yahusha was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That is why his parents said he is old enough, ask him. And so when you have a synagogue and you operate from a synagogue system, you can see all of the different elements play out here. Look at the interrogation, right? There was an interrogation. You saw that, remember the movie? There was an interrogation. And who did they bring in reluctantly? The parents, right? And what were the parents feeling? The Bible says they were afraid. What were they afraid of? Jewish authorities. Because their authority is using fear to cause them to be afraid. And what were they afraid of? It says that they were, they were afraid to be expelled. This is why they were not vocal about their faith in who? Yahusha. Because they said to themselves, if they find out we believe, we're going to be expelled from the synagogue. And so they had the use uh, the expulsion to control the parents, to bring fear. And so there is this hierarchy that was ruling over the common people. You see that? And so what prevented the leaders of the synagogue from accepting Yahusha? Let's read John 9, 28, 29. They insulted him and said, you are the, that fellow's disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for that fellow, however, we do not even know where he comes from. So what was the hindrance for the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, authorities, what was hindering them from following Yahusha? Because they were stuck in the old ways. They were stuck in the Mosaic ways. They could not give up the synagogue. Why? Because that meant everyone's equal. Yahusha is now the leader. Why would you give that up? You wouldn't want to give up your power, would you? And so they were stuck with Moses. They were stuck in the Mosaic covenant. There has to be an overall leader and a hierarchy of leaders who are controlling the brethren, the people of God. And so what happened to the blind person? John 34, 38, they answered, you were born and brought up in sin and you were trying to teach us? And they expelled him from the synagogue. When Yahusha heard what had happened, he found the man and asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, tell me who he is, sir, so that I can believe in him. Yahusha said to him, you have already seen him. And he is the one who is talking with you now. I believe, Lord, that man, the man said and knelt down before Yahusha. And so this blind man, he was expelled from the synagogue. But who took him in? Yahusha. And even today, this scenario is happening. Because even today, there are churches built upon the idea of the synagogue system where you have hierarchy, 
where you have authority, where you have power that was never meant for you to control the other people. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. What do we need to do so that we can receive everlasting life? We have to place, just like the blind man, he places faith in whom? Not the institution, not the synagogue, not the Pharisee, but who? Yahusha. And that's what we need to do too. Brethren, if we want to be saved, because judgment is coming soon, what do we need to do for us to be saved from everlasting damnation? The book of John 3, verse 16. For God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not die but have eternal life. Those who believe in the Son are not judged, but those who do not believe have already been judged because they have not believed in God's only Son. Do we want to be saved? What do we need to do? We have to believe. Believe in who? Believe in Yahusha. If we don't believe in Yahusha, if we don't believe in the Son of God, the Bible says we're already judged. We don't want that kind of condition in our life, right? And so what do we need to do? We need to believe. No one might say, but I do believe. Right? It's easy to say that. I believe, brother. I believe in Yahushua HaMashiach. But here's a question. Who are those who really believe? Let's find out. The book of John 10, 26, 28, Yahushua says, but you don't believe. Even if you say you believe, you believe, you believe. But Yahushua says, no, you don't believe. Who's going to win out here? Of course, Yahushua. This is why if we say we believe, it has to meet the standard of Yahushua so that we can say, yes, I do believe in Yahushua HaMashiach. And so who are those who don't believe? Well, Yahushua says in 26, but you don't, believe me, you don't believe me because you are not of my sheep. What does that mean? They're not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. What does it mean to truly believe in Yahushua? It means we listen to his voice, not someone else. You get that? You listen to his voice, and you follow his voice, not someone else, but Yahusha HaMashiach. But nowadays, you know what people believe? That people nowadays place their faith in what? Institutions, in the registry, religious leaders, rather than who? Yahusha the Christ. And so what do they say? Well, the institution said, well, what did Yahusha say? But it says we have to be in the registry. Who controls the registry? Yeah, but the religious leader said, yeah, but what did the Messiah say? You see, sometimes we're affected so much by other voices that we don't realize we have rejected already the Messiah. This is why we have to make sure, brethren, whose voice are we really following? Are we really faithful to Yahusha? Because if we say we're faithful to Yahushua, but we place more focus or faith in the institution, the registry, religious leaders, then we have basically negated Yahushua HaMashiach. I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to show this verse, and I'm going to ask you what you believe about this verse. And I want you to be honest. Maybe some of you who are watching probably are members of the institution. Maybe not. Okay. Doesn't matter, but I'm going to ask you to read the following passage, the book of John 6, 29, because this tells a lot. This will tell a lot. G uh, Yahusha answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. How many here are familiar with this passage? 
Have you heard this passage before? Mm -hmm. We know this. Here's my question to you. Who should we believe? Which is the work of God? Who is the him who is sent there? Who is it? Yahusha. But there are some people who believe that him is not Yahusha, but someone else. Religious spiritual leaders. And these religious spiritual leaders, guess what? What will they do? Whatever they say, that's what they believe. No. Our focus should be who? Yahusha HaMashiach. Because the hymn referred to there is not the messenger. The one that him refers to there is Yahusha HaMashiach. Not any of Yahusha's messengers. We place our faith not in the messenger of Yahusha, but the messenger. Who is that? Yahusha HaMashiach. And if we're going to switch that, if we're going to say this refers to the sugo, brethren, we are committing idolatry. Idolatry. Be careful. Be careful what you believe. Because God is listening. God is listening. And God knows who that him is. That is Yahusha HaMashiach. We must place our focus and our faith in Yahusha HaMashiach, not in any messenger here on earth, not in the registry, not in the institution. Yahusha. Why only Yahusha? Revelation 3, 5, all who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Why must we place our faith in Yahusha, not the registry? Because Yahusha is the one who determines who is in the book of life. The registry is not the book of life. It's not. Yahusha is the one who has the authority over the book of life. Why else must we place our faith in Yahusha? Not the institution, not whatever spiritual leader says. Revelation 3, 7 to 9, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right? These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door so that, that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. That's a powerful, powerful message from Yahushua himself. And this is very, this scenario that is mentioned here by Yahushua, it kind of mentions a lot of uh, the events today too, doesn't it? What do you mean? What do you mean? Well, this passage mentions a synagogue of Satan. You see that? What is that? It's powerful. And it kind of pits it against you who have little strength. So it's like this organization that's powerful and it's oppressing this small group of people who have little strength. You see that? Synagogue using its power against a group of people with little strength. We can say a very small remnant, right? And so where is the strength from the synagogue coming from? The claim that they make, that they have the key of David. You see that? What is the key of David? It means what they open, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. So they make claims like whatever is uh, in our registry, it's in heaven. We get to control all that. Whatever we say, that's what God says. 
We represent God on earth. That's what that key is. And so that's the claim they make. So they have this power over that small, small flock right there. But what does Yahushua say? Yahushua says and tells the truth. He says, nope. Him who is holy and true is the one who holds the key of David. So Yahushua is telling, reminding the church, you know, they don't have the key. I have the key. Whatever I say, that goes. Because I'm the one who has the key, not them. And so what does he say about the synagogue of Satan? They're liars. <laughs> because they make the claim of authority that was not theirs in the first place. And so he says they're lying. And what does Yahushua notice? He notices that there are those who keeps his word and have not denied his name. And what is the promise of Yahushua? He says, I will make them come and fall down. He was going to make the synagogue of Satan come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Because they're making the claim, we're the ones who are the truth. We have the key of David. Yahushua or Jesus loves us. But Yahushua says, no, I'm going to make them acknowledge the one I love is you. This is why, brethren, the important thing, the important message of this passage is right there in the green. Keep the word of Yahusha. Keep it. Be faithful to him. Place your faith and hope in him, not any of these spiritual leaders, not any institution, but him and him alone. Okay? All right. We're almost done. Just two more questions. Here's a question. Hi, Poha John. Blank is asking me and blank. What is the meaning of this verse? Paul? What do we answer her? Particularly the part that says, and I will write on him my new name. And so this was what she was referring to, Revelation 3, 11 to 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one can make, no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the New Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And I will write on him my new name. So the question is, what is that new name? There's something we need to understand about the name of the Messiah. What is that? The Messiah, or the Christ, has one given personal name. What is that? Yahusha, right? But he was also given other names that function more like titles that communicate his character and the work that he is to do. For example, in Matthew 1, 21, 23, and he and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name what? Yahusha. For he will save his people from their sins. That's his personal name. That's his given name. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And so here we have an example of the personal name of Yahusha, Yahusha, and also a title, which is called the name Emmanuel. Why will he be called Emmanuel? Because what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. Because of the death of Yahusha, those who have been redeemed by his blood is now being brought to who? The Father. And so because of that, it describes the work of the Messiah to bring people to who? To God, to bring people back to God. So that's his role. It's depicted by the name Emmanuel. But his real name is Yahushua. What else are the other names given to him? Because it depicts a work that they're going to do. The branch, right? The name is the branch. Why? Because his work is to build the church, which is the temple of Yahuwah. Okay? What else? 
in Revelation 19.11, he's also named faithful and true. Because we know he's faithful and he teaches what is true. He's also named what? He's also named the word of God. Because he's the fulfillment of the logos or the plan of God from the very beginning. He also has a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Because one day all of the government authorities will be subjected to him when he returns. And so the Messiah or the Christ has one personal name, given name, Yahusha, but he was also given other names that function like titles that communicate his character and his work. And so let's go to Revelation 3, 11 and 12. Um, this passage mentions, and I will write on him my new name. It mentions a new name. Now, who are the ones who will be given this new name that belongs to the Messiah? Well, not everyone. This is actually a promise or a prophecy. And who, when will this be fulfilled? It's the time of the new Jerusalem that will come down from heaven. Is that today? Not today. I'll be in the future when the new, the new Jerusalem comes down out from heaven from God. So this is not for today. It's for the time when the new Jerusalem is here. And for whom is this promise for? Not everyone, but those who overcome. This is one of the messages of Yahusha to the seven churches, right? And so the one who overcomes, you will be given that, that name, the new name of the Messiah. And what will their function be? What is the promise of the prophecy? Bible says there will be pillars in the temple of my God. Does it mean they're going to be physical, physical pillars? No, it means they're going to function or work on behalf of the temple. And what is the great blessing for them? It says the name of my God. I will write on him the name of my God. What does that mean? They belong to who? God. What else? The name of the city of my God. They belong to heaven. They belong to the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And then it says, I will write on him my new name. Why? Because when we are functioning in the new Jerusalem as representatives of Yahusha, our work will reflect that name. And so, in other words, when we get to heaven, we're going to have work to do. That's what that new name indicates. What is that work? I don't know. Why? Because I don't know that new name. Right? That new name will tell us what we're going to do. And I don't know about you, but I'm excited. Because a lot of people think when you get to heaven, you got no more work to do. Right? No more work to do. No. Heaven's going to be boring. No. We're going to work. We have a purpose. We're going to represent Yahushua HaMashiach. This is why his new name, the new work for us, it will be given to us because his new name, he will write upon all of us. Okay? All right. It's not a question. Hajan, uh, so blank told me and blank that she doesn't see the benefit or advantage if she accepts the name Yahuwah or the penalty if she doesn't. What is a good response we can say to her book? She, she also told us that she will wait for Christ to reveal the names on Judgment Day. And that it's not our obligation to praise the names during our time period because she said that was only for the people of the past. I wonder if that's true. Well, we have to check the scripture. We have to test everything, right? Well, let's go, say, let's go see what Yahuwah says about the past. Jeremiah 23, 26, 27. How long? So is Yahuwah upset when he says, when he starts out with saying, how long? How long? He says, how long? 
is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they re relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. What do you think God notices? Is God upset with people forgetting his name? Is he happy? Oh, I'm glad that you forgot my name. It seems he's very angry. That's why he says, how long? Who is he blaming? The prophets. What does he call these prophets? Prophets of deception. Why? Because what do they intend to do? They intend to make the people of God forget his. Is this the first time? No, even before that. The people of God have a tendency to forget his name. And so does it mean we're going to stop praising his name? No. God does not want us to stop. In fact, God is angry because there are those who call themselves representatives or preachers of the word of God because they're called prophets. There are those who call themselves preachers, yet they intend to make the people of God forget his this is why we're never going to do that. We're never going to say to you, the name of God is unimportant. Because if we say the name of God is unimportant, it's like we're making you forget. Oh, my brother, that's during the time of Jeremiah. How about during the Christian era? Hebrews, is that Christian era? Yeah. So now Yahusha and the ones he makes holy have the same father. And that's why Yahusha is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and Sisters, I will praise you among your assembled people. Does Yahusha want us to know the name? Yeah. He said, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. So during the time of the, the, time of the fathers, the time of the, the prophets, what is God's will? He wants us to know his name, including those who belong to Yahusha HaMashiach. And the last question is asked, so blank is asking for the verse Oh, that tells us the name of God will be revealed to the people in the last days to show it to her that we, we, we don't have to wait until Christ comes. Yeah. Where's that? Joel 2, 31, 32. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahuwah. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of Yahuwah shall be Say, or in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance, as Yahuwah said, among the remnant whom Yahuwah calls. Is there a biblical verse that says the people in the last days will call upon the name of Yahuwah? Yeah. Joel 2, 31, 32. Why do we know this pertains to the last days? Because it says this is what's going to happen before. Right? Before what? Before the coming of the great and awesome day of Yahuwah. What day is that in reference to? They are judgment. What does, Yah what does Yahuwah say before that day comes? What will his people do? He will call on his name. Those who call upon the name of Yahuwah, what is the promise of the Father? They will be saved. Are we saying that those who do not call on the name of Yahuwah will not be saved? Is that what we're saying? No. See, we can only say what we can read. We cannot read that there, so we're not going to say that. What do we say? What we can read. What does it say? That those who call on the name of Yahuwah will be saved. So you can, you can accept that. You can reject that. That's okay. That's okay. I believe it. I accept it. Because it's written. It's written. 
But can we expect everyone to call upon the name of Yahuwah? No. Who are the ones who will really call upon his name? Well, the Bible says the remnant. Who among the remnant? The one whom Yahuwah calls. And so when you think about it, we should not expect everyone to call on the name. Why? Because the one whom Yahuwah calls are the ones who are going to call his name. And so there's really no point to argue against those who reject the name. Why? They weren't being called to call on the name. Will they be saved? I don't know. Can they be saved? Why not? I'm not the one to say that. What I'm saying is what we can read. What can we read? Those who are called, they're the ones who are going to call upon that name. What is the promise for those who call upon that name? They're going to receive salvation. When will this happen? Before judgment day. What time period is that? Ends of the earth. Our time. And so brethren, I believe that. And I'm sure many others believe that. And so we call upon the name of Yehovah our God. Okay? That is our lesson. Let us all stand and we shall pray. Everlasting Father, yes. we call upon your name, Yahuwah, yes. our God, our Savior. Yes. Thank you for giving us clarity concerning your commands. Yes. We know, Father, how you have seen the errors of the ways of your people from the past. Yes. If we are going to be truthful in the matter, we also confess to you our stubbornness, yes. our rebelliousness, how often we turn even your blessings into idols. Yes making them priority in our life. Please forgive our sins. Help us to learn from our mistakes and to make you topmost priority in our life. Father, thank you for calling us. Thank you for giving us your name. We use your name, Yahuwah. We declare faith in you because you are our Father. Yahusha HaMashiach. We have faith in you. We believe in you. Yes, we have been expelled from the synagogue. But we belong to you. Yes. We are your sheep. For we follow your voice and yes. your voice alone. We will always be linked to you. And so please allow us to remain by your side. Yes. Because we have given our life to you. Yes. And we publicly announce, we publicly declare, we belong to you, Yahusha HaMashiach, the Christ, the Messiah. Yes. We belong to you. Yes. Please, when you come back, may you bring us to yourself, to the place that you have promised. Father, bless always our loved ones, members of our family. Enlighten their minds, O God. And may you heal those who are sick among us. Continue to work your miracle daily in our lives. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. You have forgiven all our sins. For we ask everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.